Hi everyone and welcome back to the podcast. Today we are joined with Alex Okal who is a PCOS specialist and we are going to be talking about all things PCOS trends and giving you the lowdown on what you can do to manage your PCOS and generally like what might be helpful and what might be a little bit less helpful. So I'm really excited to have Alex on. She is a wealth of knowledge, not only in PCOS, but in being a really fabulous nutrition counsellor. I also want to make it really clear that while this podcast is about PCOS, the stuff we talk about is applicable to people with and without PCOS. So we're going to be diving into some wellness trends. And if you know anything about wellness, the trends that come up for one condition tend to be general blanket statements for everyone. So you'll see what I mean when we get into it. But if you are listening to this intro and you're thinking, I don't even know what PCOS is, what's going on? Um, Don't worry, we will very, very, very briefly talk a little bit about what PCOS is but um, bear in mind if you don't have PCOS the content of this episode I know will be very helpful to you too. Okay so let's get stuck in. Okay so welcome Alex. Hi Alex how are you doing? Hi Shannon I'm good thank you so much for having me. Yeah no worries I'm really excited to be here with you. So Alex um, I'm going to give you the floor so that you can introduce yourself a little bit for anyone who doesn't know you. Yeah, thank you. So um, my name is Alex Oakle. I'm a registered associate nutritionist and I'm the founder of the PCOS Collective. Um, the PCOS Collective is a educational non-diet hub for people with PCOS. And it's all about um, supporting people to gain free, uh, food freedom, moving away from restriction, dieting and food rules to a more nourishing way to eat and live whilst um, managing their PCOS symptoms. I love it. It sounds um, it sounds just what people with PCOS need, right? So I absolutely love it. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering, Alex, before we dive into talking about all the trends in PCOS and things that can help people or maybe not so much help people that much, mm-hmm. can you tell us just briefly what exactly is PCOS? Yeah, so PCOS is uh, stands for polycystic ovary syndrome or sometimes ovarian syndrome, depending, way, depending on where you are in the world. Um, but it's a hormone disorder and it affects about one in 10 people with ovaries in the UK. Um, it's actually chronically underfunded, underdiagnosed and undertreated. So there probably are actually more people with PCOS who just don't know it and um, the main or like common symptoms that people with PCOS tend to see is irregular periods and excessive hair growth in kind of areas you wouldn't necessarily expect so maybe on the chin on your back uh, places like that Um, acne oily skin and um, sometimes infertility as well Mm. it's quite a I think it's a condition that we hear quite a lot about, like thrown around, but I think the specifics of it are quite unknown and it's kind of um, just put put down to the kind of, um, in my experience, the more like um, physical signs of PCOS, like the hair growth or the hair loss, 
mm-hmm. when actually it can affect um you know every system of the body right yeah absolutely and it's a really quite complex condition and because it is a syndrome which means that it's a collection of symptoms there you know it can present in so many different ways and we don't actually have like an easy test to do for it it's not you go and get like one blood test and it's like yep you've got PCOS or you don't it actually is um the way that we decide it is it's kind of almost more ruling out other conditions so we make sure we've ruled out any issues with thyroid with your thyroid or Cushing's disease um with hypothalamic amenorrhea all of these sort of things get ruled out first and then you would go and have um you know, go and speak to your doctor, see if you have a regular period. So you'd like chat about that. You would chat about any symptoms you're seeing. You might get blood tests to see if you have um, high levels of those common male type hormones, things like testosterone. And then you may also get an ultrasound to see if you do have um, the, you know, polycystic ovaries basically. But you don't have to have polycystic ovaries to have PCOS, which is kind of the the thing that trips people up a bit. And it is really confusing, (laughs) to be honest. Thank you, Alex, for telling us a bit about PCOS. Um, I I know that if anyone's listening who does have PCOS, you probably, you know, know how it shows up for you. But if you've been listening to Alex talk about PCOS and you're thinking, hmm, this kind of sounds like me, um, like Alex said, head to the GP and you can um, get support going ahead with, you know, figuring out what's going on with you. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, amazing okay so yeah what we're going to be talking about today is some of the common things that people with PCOS are told to do and we're going Mm -hmm. to myth bust some of those and I've also done a little bit of uh, snooping around on social media the past few few months ish um, all about the kind of I call them like there's they seem to be a bit more randomy things um that I've seen coming up so we're also going to talk about them. I'm wondering Alex if you can just tell us just to clarify I've seen something popping around the internet and I really want to like dispel it or find out your thoughts about it straight up so I'm seeing this theme on TikTok which is that there's more than one type of PCOS. Have you heard about this and have you seen this and can you just kind of talk us through what this means and if it's kind of true Mm -hmm. yeah definitely so um yeah there's this thing about um the root cause of PCOS thing is kind of often what people um put it down to and it's these four types and one of them's like adrenal inflammatory post pill and I'm definitely forgetting another one um but actually we I don't really have any evidence to support this um it's more of a naturopath Um, apathic medicine practitioners take on um, PCOS and to be honest we don't know why some people have PCOS or like the root cause or if there are these different types we just know that there's PCOS that's all that the evidence is saying at the moment Um, and even trying to kind of figure out which type of piece it doesn't make a difference truly to the way that we are going to be thinking about managing it because all of our body is linked in all of these different ways that it's it's never just like one thing. So if you're thinking, oh, it's adrenal, I have to think about my, you know, adrenal glands. It's like, yeah, but that's all linked to everything else that's going on within the system. So if you're um, having increased levels of things like cortisol, which are stress hormone, which is produced from the adrenal glands, that impacts 
insulin and testosterone. So we still need to have a look at those hormones as well. So I just don't find it very useful to break it down into um, different types of PCOS or different root causes. And also there's just not enough evidence to support it. So um, yeah, I just, I tend to kind of avoid those sort of um, posts because I just don't think they're very helpful for people. And even if you did know the root cause of your PCOS, it really doesn't make any difference that we know that PCOS isn't your fault. It's a hormonal condition. It's likely to be affected by um, a combination of genetics, environment and lifestyle factors. So yeah, it just doesn't really tell us very much these root causes or types of PCOS. Yeah, it's almost like to me, this this trend that happens with like wellness culture in general, which is looking at things very binary and having to put things into categories that don't really need to be like separated like that. So, okay, that makes a lot of sense to me. So if anyone's listening, I thought that that's really helpful to clarify because um, even though I'm not a PCOS expert, I've actually received like emails and inquiries from people in the past saying, I don't know what type of PCOS I've got. Can you help me figure out? And um, it's, um, I think it's quite a US based thing of these four types of yeah. PCOS. But yeah, thank you, Alex. I just really wanted to have that in this episode because I hope that that's going to be helpful for someone to hear. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. And I feel- I'm sorry I was just gonna say I feel like people um think that it's going to be helpful to know but if there's no evidence behind it then that that means that there's no um way to manage that quote-unquote type of PCOS so finding that out really is not going to help you manage PCOS so it's not something you should be worrying about. I'm thinking that we should talk about the few things that most people with PCOS have probably heard of and then have a bit of a chat about these of like, if you think that these recommendations are helpful, if they are something that your clients have found helpful um, or not. Mm-hmm. And so the the five that I've kind of thought about, um, and they're quite big topics, but I'm thinking that we should talk about is weight loss a cure for PCOS or, you know, do you need to lose weight to manage your PCOS? Is going dairy, gluten, or sugar-free helpful? And I'd also really love to hear your thoughts on inositol. Um, so I feel like in my clinic, um, with my clients who have PCOS, these are like the five things that they want to hear about. So I'm wondering, Alex, if we can dive into each of these and just have like a little bit of a chat about them and um, maybe bring some kind of helpful takeaways for people would that be okay yeah that sounds good to me okay amazing let's dive in to the biggest one which I think is do you need to lose weight to manage your PCOS tell us about this Mm -hmm. so that really is the most common piece of advice quote-unquote advice people get given Um, and it's kind of focused on this idea that if we lose weight that PCOS can be reversed um and this the way that people tend to go about this is cutting out food groups and cutting down the amount that they eat or limiting how often they can eat but doing this actually comes with so many problems um first of all science you know hasn't figured out a safe sustainable way to lose weight and keep it off long term 
Um, so that's really important. Even if we, even if weight loss did help PCOS, we we don't have a way of doing that long term. So it's just not that helpful. Um, we know that diets actually aren't, um, you know, useful for our physical and mental well-being in the long term. So. For example, it's you know slow down slows down our metabolism. Um, it can dial up our hunger signals, so we're you know paying more attention to hunger than ever and feeling really you know that hangry feeling. Um, and when we do find food, because it all inevitably comes back to um, our bodies will seek out what it needs. Um, we tend to eat way more than what we were kind of planning to. And this gives us that feeling of guilt and remorse and feeling awful about ourselves. Um, so yeah, so all of this combines to make sustainable weight loss almost impossible. Um, and the cycle of gaining and losing weight when you have PCOS can be really detrimental because it increases insulin resistance um, and inflammation, which we know exacerbates some of the symptoms of PCOS. Um, and yeah, the diet advice does tend to focus on physical health, but what about mental well-being? Something that's so important to think about. Um, and also people with PCOS are, um, often find, and like what we see in the studies is that it's even harder for people with PCOS to lose weight. So it's all of these factors combined that I just think telling someone to lose weight, it's just, it's unhelpful. It's, it's harder for people with PCOS to lose weight. It's hard to keep weight off long-term. It makes your mental well-being and physical well-being in the long term, um, you know, damaged. So I just don't think it's a helpful recommendation for people to be told. And for me, the way I like to put it is weight loss is a, you know, it's a symptom. You know, it's a it's not necessarily an action. We can't just say lose weight. It's not something we do. Um, it's the outcome of other things. So what I like to focus on is health promoting activities. So things like um, finding movement that you enjoy, increasing fiber in the diet, for example, um, making sure you're drinking enough water for you, these sort of things. And they may result in weight loss or weight gain or staying the same. But independently of that, those activities are still helpful. So I hope that makes sense. It's not too rambly. <laughs> Um, no, it's really music to my ears here and that there's someone like you out there who's really waving this flag for like non-diet um, approach to PCOS. So yeah, it makes so much sense to me. And yeah, that's really helpful. I also um, am thinking about the kind of people who listen to this podcast. And if you have PCOS, it's also really important to think about your relationship to food the rates of disordered eating are pretty high in people with PCOS um, and actually Alex I'm wondering if you can speak a little bit to how someone's relationship to food can be a little bit tough when they've got PCOS yeah definitely it can be really really challenging because people with PCOS do just tend to be told to lose weight you know that's the kind of main um, piece of advice given and also um, the fact that we have these kind of beauty standards um, imposed on us from society which many symptoms of PCOS challenge so things like excess body hair and weight gain um, which can also you know which that feeling of feeling like you don't fit in or your body is um, being stigmatized and shamed daily um, is unsurprisingly going to 
be linked to feelings of you know not feeling good enough and all of these things leading to emotional eating binge eating behavior um and yeah just general poor mental health so yeah that's kind of the link there yeah yeah it makes so much sense um okay amazing thank you alex okay so i've bundled i bundle in my brain these three you know dairy gluten sugar free together because i think they're kind of obviously they're different food groups right but they're like i feel like they're ultimately doing the same the same job when i see these you know recommendations for cutting these foods out so can you talk about the evidence and the helpfulness for someone to cut out dairy gluten and sugar from their diet if they have pcos yeah so yeah you're right these really are the most common things that we hear um that people you know try and cut out when they have um pcos so yeah definitely definitely hear that one a lot um but I promise that unless you have an intolerance to these foods or you are allergic, all foods can fit when you eat PCOS. So with dairy, um, I feel like everyone, I think dairy and gluten actually are very similar in this way. Dairy and gluten are just kind of the blanket recommendation for people if they have any form of chronic condition. It's like, have you tried cutting out dairy and gluten? And I'm like, where are you getting this from? Where are these ideas from? And yeah. you know, if if it works for you and it's feeling good and it doesn't feel restrictive. It's just the way that your body functions a little bit better if you remove these things, then all power to you. But there is no evidence that it's in particularly going to help PCOS. So um, the only thing with dairy, in a few small studies, it's been suggested that low fat or fat-free dairy might contribute to acne development, but this actually wasn't in people with PCOS. And all that suggests to me is that you should try full fat dairy if you're struggling with acne because, um, when we remove the fat, it changes the food matrix and basically the amount of sugar versus fat in that food. Um, and yeah, there is some evidence that low fat or fat-free dairy might contribute to acne. So that could be one thing to try. And again, it's all of these recommendations that we are gonna speak through. It's all about trying with curiosity and not judgment and seeing how it feels for you and your body. And then taking that information and treating almost like, a, I like to say like a science experiment and taking that and being like, hmm, that was interesting. That did help. I tried it for six weeks and my acne has improved. I'm going to keep it up and see how I get on with it. But also giving yourself that permission, if it doesn't um, make a difference, then you can reintroduce it. You know, we have this flexibility, we have this autonomy that we should be leaning into. With gluten-free, there is zero evidence for PCOS and any PCOS related symptoms um, no good quality evidence at all and you know if you have celiac disease or gluten intolerance then of course removing gluten will make you feel a hell of a lot better and you definitely should do that um, but if you are just you know willy-nilly removing these foods from your diet in gluten's case for example you might be at risk of below optimal fiber intake or iron intake or folate on all of the other great things that gluten um, and kind of gluten heavy foods increase and um, are composed of sorry so yeah you're kind of I don't know where they come from but they just seem to be so prevalent and it's similar with the sugar and the um, kind of carbohydrate piece so people with PCOS are often told to either cut out sugar completely or lower their carbs to like a really low amount and because people with PCOS do tend to have a high incidence of insulin resistance, um, removing carbohydrates or sugar is kind of an understandable 
way of thinking. I, you know, I, I get where that idea is coming from, but um, removing carbohydrates from your diet or sugar, you know, completely can result in excessive cravings leading to binge eating behavior. And also again, missing out on vital nutrients. Um, you know, when we remove something from our diet, it often leads to the opposite effect of what we're hoping, which is fixation on the food or food group. And this binge and restrict cycle, um, as Shan, you definitely can attest to, is exhausting and damaging to physical and mental health. So trying to make peace with these foods is really, really key, I think, for, you know, greater physical and mental well-being. And like I said, there's no evidence that it will help with PCOS. So it's just, it's just, nonsensical that it's given us a recommendation yeah definitely oh you know I am imagining someone with PCOS sitting listening to this podcast with a little notebook scribbling everything down that you're saying <laughs> <laughs> because you are a wisdom of knowledge um I'm, I'm gonna give a shout out to the Alex's education hub on PCOS pcoscollective.co.uk I'll pop the link in um, the show notes because everything that Alex is talking about um, her and her PCOS team they create blog posts and resources on PCOS um, so if you're scribbling everything down and trying to remember everything head to Alex's um, education hub to get all the info and yeah when we're talking about all of these things Alex I'm thinking a really key thing is like trust in your body and trust in yourself and be able being able to being able to like almost feel what's happening in your body, right? All of these rules, they almost are working to reduce the trust in people. Mm-hmm. So if anyone is feeling like, yeah, but all I've ever known to manage my PCOS is cutting out sugar gluten um trying to lose weight if you're thinking this I know that it's it's quite a new world I think to hear these kind of like listen listen more to your body and how it feels and um I think this can um from my clients from what they've told me it can feel really quite scary and really quite really quite like uncomfortable to listen to your body after potentially years and years I've been told not to so yeah I know that Alex will be on the same page with me on this so yeah I really just want to name that that it can be really difficult um, to go against these things that you've heard about yeah and definitely it can feel really also I can really attest to the feeling of not feeling like you want to trust your body because it feels like it's let you down a bit by giving you all these symptoms Mm -hmm. Um, and I feel like Shani you might be able to speak to this as well but as someone who suffers with chronic pain, I I struggle sometimes with my intuition because sometimes I don't like my body so much as in, in the way that it treats me, I'm sometimes a bit annoyed with it. So I completely sympathize with that fact of if we, um, we maybe have a bit of a fear around giving our body back that trust when maybe it hasn't been feeling so comfortable to be in that body. Um, so yeah, I completely, I completely agree with that. And that might mean reaching out to to a professional to help you work through those feelings um, rather than trying to do it all on your own um, or you know using various resources like Shannon kindly said like the PCOS Collective or various books um, that can help you kind of work through finding intuition again within your body. Yeah I love that and it's it really just goes to show that these 
you know, PCOS meal plans or these PCOS coaches that you might find on Instagram or TikTok. I'm really sure that they mean well, but there's so many other things that are going on when you're living with a health condition that's so much more than just like what you're eating and your kind of quote unquote lifestyle. Okay, we have one more thing that I think people with PCOS will be dying for us to talk about, which is inositol. Mm -hmm. Alex, can you tell us what inositol is and if your clients have found this helpful to manage the PCOS? Yes, definitely. So um, inositol is a really common supplement for use for PCOS management. Um, but it's unless you have PCOS or you work in this area, you probably never heard of it before. It's not like a vitamin D or an omega-3 that most people have um heard about so um inositol is i mean i say i was going to say basically but it's not basically because it's very complex but it's a type of sugar alcohol in the brain um and other tissues it's made naturally in the body um we produce it from glucose um, and also it's produced in the kidneys um but within pcos treatment it basically works by increasing insulin sensitivity which in turn improves ovarian function and reduces excess androgen levels. And there's some evidence that it can help reduce the risk of metabolic disease. So things like heart disease and stroke and type two diabetes. So the use of inositol in PCOS, it's currently tends to be used for um, diabetes patients only. Um, but yeah, the evidence for using it with PCOS really is emerging, but very promising. Um, with about a 70% efficacy being reported, so about 70%, sorry, 70% of people feeling um, feeling a change in their body and feeling a, a difference, a positive impact. Um, so yeah, inositol can be really helpful for people with PCOS. I think that it's often made out to be like a wonder supplement and I wouldn't go that far. It can, like I said, 70% of people do tend to find it helpful or at least that's what we've seen in the research obviously we know that we're human beings and we're not just um in a lab all the time so it'd be interesting to see long term how people find um find taking inositol but um yeah I do I tend to recommend it to the majority of my clients particularly if you are someone who kind of suffers with a lot of carbohydrate cravings feelings of you know, intense fatigue and exhaustion, that tends to be a really nice sign that inositol could be helpful for you. Um, I always tend to recommend it in the 40 to one ratio as that's kind of the most effective that we've seen in the research. There is some emerging um, research about other um, kind of ratios of the inositol supplements that you can take, um, but we need a little bit more evidence before I can kind of conclusively say that. So yeah, I do, I do recommend inositol. I think it can be really, really helpful. Some brands that you might want to look into is like Time Health or My Over or Avocetol. I feel like I'm going to say that wrong, Avocetol. Um, that's kind of the American version um, of what we can get here. Um, so yeah, I think Enostol can be really, really helpful. But again, it's, it's, it's all about managing expectations, I suppose. It's not going to change overnight and it can take, you know, six weeks to six months to really see a difference and consistently taking it. So yeah, that's kind of how I feel about inositol. Cool. That's really helpful. Thank you, Alex. And I know that the PCOS Collective has a blog post on inositol. So if anyone's listening and thinking, oh, I'm needing to get my paws on this, um, I'm going to link 
the blog post in the show notes so you can have a a bit more of a, a read and um yeah see what you want to do if you want to try it okay so thank you Alex for talking us through those five things now I'm I'm shifting gears a little bit Alex and I really want to put you on the hot seat and I really want you to tell us um the info what's the lowdown on the they sound quite random to me but maybe they're not random to you they're things that I found on social media, especially TikTok, which I feel like is a, a hub for like PCOS exchanging tips. So would it be okay if I just ask you about a few things and you can just tell us, you know, yes, these might be helpful. No, they might not be helpful. And just give us some info on them. Would that be okay? Absolutely. Yeah, I'd be happy to. Okay. So the first trend that I've seen is people recommending that you put turmeric on everything so tell us about this have you seen this yeah so I haven't seen too much about this in relation to PCOS but that's because I don't tend to go on TikTok for PCOS because I get too frustrated Mm -hmm. um but I can I think the logic behind it is that it will help with um the inflammation that is associated with PCOS so um PCOS and inflammation are linked and people do tend to kind of over inflate the the kind of um, the idea of inflammation but basically chronic low grade inflammation so kind of like constantly like humming below the surface does tend to um, constant low humming inflammation does tend to be kind of like humming along under the surface of people with PCOS um, and we can we know that because there are various markers of inflammation seen in people with PCOS. Um, and yeah, chronic in- inflammation is linked with insulin resistance, um, risk factors for cardiovascular disease, for example. So it's definitely something we want to be keeping an eye on. And when I look into inflammation and how we can kind of manage it, the key thing that I tend to think of is omega-3s um omega-3s that are often found in things like oily fish or flax seeds and other nuts and seeds um can be really helpful in managing inflammation in the body but turmeric the recommendation for turmeric is also linked to inflammation because it is believed that turmeric has um anti-inflammatory properties um that block the action of inflammatory molecules in the body but when we're thinking about things like turmeric for um, managing inflammation in the body, it's likely that we're going to need quite a lot to see any form of difference, which would probably be very hard to get in as a kind of normal human. So people quite often tend to take um, turmeric as capsules. And I've I've definitely heard it for like joint pain and arthritis, which makes sense because they're both kind of inflammatory um, disorders. So I can't say that it would help PCOS specifically, but there is some evidence that turmeric can help with inflammation. So if it's something you enjoy, you can definitely, you know, take it in the form of like drinking some turmeric tea or sprinkling it into, um, you know, curries and other foods that it would um, kind of be good for. But is it really going to make a huge difference to PCOS? Difference to PCOS? I'm not entirely convinced yet, and I'd like to see a little bit more um, information about it to be able to make a 
a real kind of conclusive um, statement on turmeric. I'm thinking with a lot of these trends that I'm going to be asking you about, I think a lot of them are more to do with the the almost um, self-care routine holistic kind of aspect of it like I imagine if someone is feeling feeling really kind of um, exhausted and run down and they need like a nice meal having a curry or something with turmeric in it would probably feel really lovely right Um, so yeah that makes a lot of sense to me Um, okay I have a random one and this is a a thing I've never heard of, but it's something called chased berry. Can you tell us about this for PCOS? Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I, again, I'm not sure entirely how to say it. chased berry, chased berry, I'm not sure, but um, that's kind of its common name. Um, and from what we've seen, it's a natural um, supplement. So it is not kind of medical grade um, and it has historical use so as in it has been used in communities for hundreds of thousands of years and what the kind of evidence um, behind it is that we don't actually have enough (laughs) we don't have enough evidence to be able to really um, make a conclusive claim on it there's the clinical data is kind of on its safety in particular is lacking for short-term and long-term use and um, what we know so far is it's not believed to interact with medication. So there's not too much of a concern there. Um, but what I always advise if people want to start taking these more kind of like um, holistic or natural, um, you know, kind of quote unquote natural supplements is to take the um, dosage that the package recommends and inform your medical team that you are starting to take it. And what the kind of suggestion is is that it will help with improving menstrual um cyclicity so basically making your menstrual cycle more regular which may therefore aid in fertility but again we need more evidence to say this for sure um but like i said it's been used for thousands of years so there may be some um we need just need to do more research really and see whether we can um kind of conclusively say whether it works or not Mm, okay interesting so it's tbd okay Definitely, yeah. There's something else that comes up on the the line of period health and fertility, which is magnesium and B6 supplements or, you know, like foods high in these um, nutrients. Can you tell us a bit about this? Mm -hmm. So um, magnesium is often... um, Belief, basically, there's a belief that magnesium deficiency is common in people with PCOS and also just generally common in the general population. This is kind of what the latest research is saying is that the recommended amount of magnesium that we have been advised to consume every day is not being met by about, I believe it's about a third of individuals. Um, and the idea is that supplementing with magnesium will um, and kind of like correcting that deficiency will help with insulin resistance um, and also heart disease, I believe it's linked to as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's definitely, you know, solid evidence there that magnesium may be of use. I tend to recommend it to people who are struggling with um, 
particularly bad period cramps because magnesium can be really, really helpful for that. Um, but maybe just thinking about if you are getting enough magnesium in the diet. So um, kind of thinking about foods, I mean, we've all heard of like, you know, dark chocolate for magnesium. Um, we also have things like various nuts and legumes. Um, tofu is a good one as well. Um, obviously bananas. I feel like that's maybe the most common one. I probably should have led with um, magnesium in bananas. Um, but, you know, just keeping an eye on that may be useful. But again, um, my approach is always kind of, let's not be rattling around with loads of supplements inside us. Let's, mm -hmm. you know, kind of pick the key ones that we want to focus on because that's a way more sustainable way of doing things. If you're having to take a whole pharmacy worth of supplements every morning, is that, is that improving your life? You know, is that really going to be helpful to you? And I do tend to like to recommend supplements on an individual kind of level and having a really good look at someone, which I appreciate not everyone has the access to. Um, so yeah, magnesium, there is definitely, you know, decent evidence there, but I do think that something like a nostril has a bit more evidence for helping with insulin resistance. That's kind of my um, opinion on, on that one. And what else, sorry, was it that you wanted to chat about? Mm -hmm. I'd love to hear about B6. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so um, B6 is a similar um, situation. Decent evidence for fertility definitely can be useful. So if you are thinking about, um, you know, wanting to conceive in any time soon, then it could be interesting to have a little look at how much B6 you are getting into your everyday diet. And off the top of my head, I know that B6 is um, found in eggs and milk and beef and pork and those sort of things and making sure that those are things that are in your diet obviously if you are um vegan or vegetarian it might be interesting to um see your b6 intake and think about whether you might need to take a um might need to take a supplement for that one um so yeah so b6 can also help with building energy as well so if the energy and fatigue is something that feels like a um an issue for you it feels like it's something that's um yeah frustrating you feeling like you're always exhausted then magnesium and b6 combined could be really helpful for you but again speaking to your nutritional dietitian or healthcare professional if you have access can be helpful to ensure that we're not kind of just supplementing for supplement's sake mm, yeah definitely um i want to give a shout out to whole grains because i believe mm. No one quote me on this, but I believe that whole grains are high in magnesium and B6. Yes. Which is also, you know, reaffirming the fact that carbohydrates really don't need to be cut out to manage a PCOS. Um, so, yeah, a little bit of a shout out to whole grains. Um, Absolutely. <laughs> okay. The final thing that I've seen on social media, going on a daily 30 minute walk. I found this quite random, but it kind mm -hmm. of makes sense to me. Can you tell us about this? Yeah, so, I mean, movement in any form can be really helpful for mental health. So I'm always like an advocate for it. If it's something that feels accessible to you and, and kind of good to you is, yeah, go for a walk if you want to. Um, but in terms of PCOS stuff, there is evidence that going for a walk kind of pretty soon after um, eating, so maybe like, you know, within 15 to 30 minutes after eating for a short walk can help with um, blood glucose management, which is obviously linked to insulin resistance. So there is some evidence with the PCOS there, but again, it's not gonna 
it's not going to change your life and be the the major thing but if blood glucose and blood sugar levels is something that you are concerned about then pairing um your meals with a short walk afterwards could be could be of use to you um but again I think that it's important to recognize, is that going to be helpful to you or is it going to add more stress and another thing that you have to, you know, quote unquote do. Um, so yeah, there's a, there's always a balance and there's always a toss up there. Mm, definitely interesting. And I just want to, I'm given a disclaimer that for anyone listening to this podcast who's struggling with um, over-exercising to make up with mm. food, this would not be applicable to you. Um, and you need to focus on your relationship to exercise so bear that in mind when you are thinking about implementing a 30 minute walk absolutely okay. and and that's why I, I say that's why I um really don't like blanket statements because it doesn't consider things like that so yeah we can't say that a 30 minute walk for everyone is going to be beneficial even you know even something like that which feels like maybe it's you know quite harmless I think people would kind of think about that um, but we know that it can actually be um, for, for some people it, it really might be very very unhelpful okay well we're coming to the end of our PCOS trend episode so Alex I'm wondering for anyone who is thinking okay then how do I manage my PCOS can mm -hmm. you give us maybe three top tips that someone could do to help manage the PCOS absolutely so with PCOS, I really like to take a holistic approach, which means basically not just looking at food. So we're thinking about stress management, making sure you're having plenty of sleep, um, thinking about what supplements you can take, what movement feels good to you, and all of these sort of things combined. So that'd be my first tip would be to look at the whole picture rather than like hyper fixating on one thing um, mm -hmm. would be definitely a top tip for me. But to kind of like nutrition stuff would be, um, for each meal, considering whether it has a source of carbohydrates, a source of protein and a source of fat can be really, really useful to um, balancing that blood um, glucose levels to make sure that our insulin resistance is under kind of control as much as we can. Um, obviously, this doesn't have to be every single meal and life happens. And I appreciate that. But kind of on a general basis just having a little think to make sure that meals and snacks are having those um three um, macronutrients in and then I think my final tip probably would be to really think about your stress levels obviously some things are definitely out of our hands um you know bigger issues out there in the world contributing to our stress we can't always control but things like hyperfixating on food and movement is actually even though we may think it's going to be beneficial to help with PCOS it's actually probably doing the opposite effect when we're adding stress into the equation when we have PCOS um, it actually can really impact insulin and androgen levels in the body so I really would recommend taking a little bit of time to assess your your stress levels and whether you have sufficient management techniques to help you um, with, with, with stress levels. So yeah, three very different tips and maybe not what people expect to hear from a nutritionist. Mm, yeah, um, yeah, super, super helpful. Thank you, Alex. And I hope that anyone listening with PCOS, I hope that those are helpful for you. Okay, so we're wrapping up the podcast now. Alex, why don't you tell us 
where people can find you? Yeah, so um, people can find us on it's on Instagram. We are PCOS underscore collective, or you can just head to our website, which is PCOScollective.co.uk. And um, we actually, really excitingly, for PCOS Awareness Month, we have launched our first book which is eating intuitively for PCOS which you can find on our website or on Amazon and we'd love for you to have a copy because it dives a little bit deeper into finding that intuition within your body while supporting um, your PCOS management and I will pop all the links to those in the show notes as well well Alex it's been amazing having you on and it's been I feel like I'm I feel like I'm armed with PCOS knowledge now. (laughs) I know that the listeners will be as well. Um, Yeah, so thank you for coming on the podcast and chatting with me, Alex. And for all of you listeners, I will see you in the next episode. Bye. Thanks so much. Bye.